Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. I'm really excited to be talking with you today. This is Heidi Barr, everyone. She is an author who has written a book called Collisions of Earth and Sky, Connecting with Nature for Nourishment, Reflection, and Transformation. And you're in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And yeah, welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to, good to be on. Absolutely. It's interesting being a, a chance, getting a chance to talk to you because you're an author. And I think of authors who do the kind of writing that you do as people who are like really powerful advocates for nature and getting outside and wellness and uh, connection and healing and all the transformation and everything, just like the title of your book. And I've had Linda McGurk on, I've had a few other people, Madalena Bercy, I've had shoot Angela Hanscom, who wrote a bunch of some books on getting outside with kids from an OT perspective. And I, I think of writing a book is really like climbing a massive mountain, or it's like a huge accomplishment to go through all that. It's a process. And then there's the editing and everything. What you've created is to me, just such a substantial force that really can touch people in a powerful way. Tell me a little bit about your book or tell the the listeners too, what is this really about for you and why did you write it? And yeah, yeah, anything. Sorry, I'm giving you a big lot. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. (laughs) So Collisions of Earth and Sky, it's a book about, as in the subtitle, Connecting with Nature for Nourishment, Reflection and Transformation. Just it's a, I can't, so the way I write, I'm a little bit of a quilter when it comes to writing. So I'm always writing. I've always got little kind of paragraph here, paragraph there. And as I get ready to write a new book, I start to look at what I've got and then I start gathering it up and stitching it together. So collisions is very much a kind of a winding trail that goes through lots of different topics, different landscapes. Talk, I talk to a lot of different people and get their perspectives. And then I stitch it all together through the lens of just being present and connected to nature as a human. And one thing that I did as I was beginning the project was to sit down and think, okay, what am I doing here? What is this book going to be about? Because I had just so many different things I wanted to include, and it had to have some kind of thread that was weaving it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I sat down with the question. I said, okay, what do I want this book to be? And I answered my own question with, and I wrote this down. I said, I want it to be a safe space to dive into personal reflection, a non-judgmental journey into what it means for a person to be fully themselves, a perspective on living in a way that is attuned to nature and wildness, that inner wildness that we all have, uh, a self-inquiry tool. I ask a lot of questions uh, throughout the pages and a book that, that might leave people with more questions than answers, but also leave them with just a hopeful inspiration to continue their own path of self-discovery. So in a nutshell, that's what I was trying to do. (laughs) And that's what I hope has come out in the end result. It's something that's really remarkable because when I, of some of the stuff that I've read in your story, you do, I noticed that as I was reading, I was like, 
you mentioned finding your truth, finding something that is truthful, authentic, self-inquiry, everything non-judgmental, all those things are really present, really almost from the very first page. And I think that you've really stumbled upon or found a, a major component of like nature connection and how our, being a reflection of like where we are culturally today and the, the struggles that we're having. Many of them are really a reflection of the, our problems with that, with not feeling that we have to edit ourselves, feeling that there's judgment, feeling that we can't say what we need to say, feeling we can't live authentic lives, all those things. And that's something that people don't really talk about. A lot of people are like, oh, here's how to work with kids. And here's something, else, an activity you can do. And here, let's go on a hike. Or there, you talk about the things, the doings. And this is a little bit more like the being. Right. Yeah. And, and so it doesn't come through as much in this book, but I have worked a lot with youth in wilderness settings. And one mm -hmm. of them, I've done that for years, but when I was actively doing it, one of the things that helped me be a good leader of, of youth was really digging down and saying, okay, what is my truth? You know, what mm -hmm. do I really think about this? What do I believe? And letting that be my kind of my anchor, my, my foundation to then hopefully lead those youth to find their own as well, because that's what it's about at the end of the day. It's digging and uncovering those things that are true for you. It's so interesting because like I've done a number of like solos or vision quests over the many years I've been out in the wilderness and studying nature and survival and all that. And it's so interesting because that is such an intense, doing a solo is like giving yourself that permission to go inward. And then other times I have friends that would say, oh, I want to do one of those. But then I'd say, you could do one next month if you want, I'll help you. It's, I don't know if I have time. It's not convenient. Like It's easy to put it off because sometimes it just, we're busy and other times we're, it's scary. Right. And the idea of facing yourself or even admitting to yourself some of the things that are maybe true are, it's deeply uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. So I'm curious about your experiences because yeah, if you've got those children in the wilderness, man, now you have an opportunity. There's nothing else for them to do except start asking those questions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And as you were saying, digging into what's really true, that's a really hard, really uncomfortable thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I went through that process in writing this book. As you read, if you read part of it, you notice that I talk a lot about the, the true history of the land, especially in the United States, the indigenous origins who was here before the settlers and as a white settler descendant of white settlers that is something that I've continually had to reckon with that's true that's part of my story and my role now is to I can't change what happened but I can use my own continuation of the story to start to heal those wrongs that were done and that's just one example but unlearning that's a big part of digging for the truth I think yes. you know so often we're taught things that weren't great. <laughs> well, you have to say, okay, what have I been taught and what do I need to really look at and maybe start to unravel so you can right. build something back better? Yeah. I, you know what? It's so interesting because some, a lot of, I would say vast majority of, of nature educators are 
they'll have on their website acknowledgement of that they're doing work on Abenaki land or Chippewa land or Ojibwe. And they also will have it on their email and they'll sometimes have it in other ways. And I've always wondered, obviously native people, there's a very a wide spectrum of perspectives there too. So I know some people might go, oh yeah, there's just another person who doesn't want to feel guilty. So they're just putting that on there and that doesn't really do anything. And mm -hmm. yes, it's nice to be acknowledged, but it's not accomplishing that much. But then on the other side of it, there are people that I know will say, hey, we really appreciate that. And it's everybody's in a different stage of whether they're willing to say, hey, how are we going to have reconciliation or try to find a way forward too? And right. all of them are valid responses. Yeah. I feel like there's no right answer with any of this. There is sure planting seeds, doing what you can mm -hmm. from a foundation of hopefully healing and love and taking yeah. other perspectives into consideration and messing up and owning it and trying again. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was actually, it was interesting. Like last night I was like scrolling after a basketball game and I was watching, I watched, I don't know, 10 minutes of Dances with Wolves with Kevin Costner and that Lakota experience he was having out there at that whole movie. And it, I think it was, I think it came out in 1980 or something, yeah. but it was so interesting to me because that movie was a really powerful thing for me growing up because I just was like, man, this is like such a beautiful way of life. And, and, and how could we have torn that apart? Yeah. And you can see Kevin Costner's like being moved by that and seeing he was going there to die and then wanted to die and then somehow he found his way but then i look at it from today's perspective and i know if, if people talk about today they'd be like oh kevin costner white savior blah 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 like they would just tear it down as what a stupid colonial perspective we all hate that which is a valid perspective too and then we have even now today, this year, last year, we have that Killers of the Flower Moon, which was like also something that happened, I think, in Oklahoma. Okay. And man, it, it's interesting how like those perspectives have evolved where it's no longer just, hey, I'm a white guy who's saving everyone, but sort of changing, maybe, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can go down a lot of rabbit holes. <laughs> with, yeah. 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 You grew up in, in South Dakota. Is that right? So mm -hmm. South Dakota is like right in the heartland of, of that landscape. And yeah, yeah, I've, I've traveled through parts of South Dakota as well as Kansas and Nebraska and everything. And I just, I've always loved that landscape. It yeah, is it's... so appealing to me the the prairie and the bluffs and the creeks and the everything like the little arroyos and the badgers. I I, I just am like, man, there's a part of me that just wants to like live there because maybe it was because I read Little House on the Prairie like 400 times when I was a kid. Right? <laughs> Man, yeah, what a yeah, beautiful, beautiful place. place. I, I live now in Minnesota in a very forested area, but yeah. where I, I was on a prairie hillside just kind of, at the time it, my folks had a, they planted every single tree on their homestead. So when I was little, all the trees were very small. So it was really windy all the time. You could just see, you know, for miles, you could see the water tower in town seven miles away. Like it was that just open. <laughs> yes. And I love where I live now with the trees and the forests and the lakes and things, but there's a, always going to be a part of me that feels a little bit claustrophobic when I'm in the mm -hmm. forest. Like, oh, right. I need to 
in space. <laughs> Need some wind. It's so true that I, mean, I, I hear that a lot. And I think about that a lot because I just love the desert, the wide open spaces, being in the mountains. That's another thread that I saw woven in there was about, yeah. uh, I think, it, what did you say? Dreaming the mountain? Is that Dancing what you're the Dancing the mountains. Yes. And I was thinking about it because I was like, if you grew up in South Dakota, I'm not sure where the mountains were, but then you have a section about like cross country skiing or downhill skiing and a little on a little prairie hill. And I was like, okay, yeah, I get yeah. that. And you dig into the ancient geology of South Dakota and they were, there were mountains there. Yes. Ago, and they've just been weathered. And so um, the spirit of the land is there too. Like the spirit, those mountains have been, maybe they've been crushed under in a way by the glaciers, but it's there. Right. Yeah. So how, what's been the feeling that you've had now that it's come out? When did there, your book come out? It's almost a, exactly a year ago, came out at the end of January, 2023. And have you been getting like good responses to it? Yeah, it's, it's gotten good response. Overall, I would say the vast majority has been very positive and people appreciate the kind of the extra attention to the history of the land. I think a lot of times that isn't in books about nature mm -hmm. connection. Not that I know exactly how to do that. But I gave it my yeah. best shot at the time. And I also think people really appreciate that I don't profess to have the answer. I have a lot of questions. I have my own experience that I share, but I never say this is what you should do. <laughs> and in my work yeah. as a health coach, that's a very important aspect of all of my work is that no one person can say this is what you should do and it'll work as a lot of self-help likes to do. So I just tend to tell a story, my personal experience, maybe I'll parallel that to something going on in the larger collective story and then ask a question and then it's yours to do with what you will. Maybe you'll take yeah. it a completely different direction than I would. But after you hear that story, it's your story and you'll continue it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Storytelling for me, I've been an educator for 35 years and I know that the key, the one tool that I've used more than any other tool to connect people to the land is my storytelling skills that I've developed over that time. Mm -hmm. And this is really, your book is just clearly your storytelling. And it really is, uh, as I was reading it, it feels like I'm wandering through a beautiful meadow with like oak yeah. trees and flowers and something just been like, it just feels that way as I was reading it. So I don't know if you've had that feedback before, but I, I, I experienced that and I was flashing back to California oak groves mm -hmm. and yeah, it was really, it was, I wasn't prepared for that. Okay. Yeah, that's great. I wanted people to feel like they could pick the book up and read it and feel like if you, maybe there's some way you can't step outside right now, but you may, mm -hmm. you, you could feel like you were in your favorite place or wandering through a forest or something by mm -hmm. reading it. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you incorporate nature into your, I know you were saying that you do coaching mm -hmm. and I'm just curious if like nature figures into that at all. Yeah, it absolutely does. And when, so more so when I do private practice uh -huh. coaching, then I can do what I want uh -huh. <laughs> rather than following an employee's, you must talk about these kind of things. But yes, when it's my own work, that's definitely one of the foundational components is that 
And I, no matter where I'm coaching, I hear from people that going outside is usually not something they regret. I've never had someone say, oh, I wish I would have gone on that walk. Nobody ever says that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Unless you like are hit with some kind of natural disaster or something while you're out there. Usually you come back feeling a little better. So that is definitely one of the, and health coaches don't prescribe things by any means, but if I was going to prescribe someone something, it would be, okay, go outside for 10 minutes every day. Mm -hmm. Let's start there and then see where we go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's scary how many people, they may not get outside for a few days, or sometimes they might go outside, but it's just from the house to the car to your job and then back, back and forth like that, especially if it's cold out or the weather's bad. And then there's that getting that 10 minutes or five minutes where you just mm-hmm. be out there, even if it is cold, even if it is whatever it is under whatever um, weather. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so I'm working right now on developing an online ironically, (laughs) an online course to help people get outside more. And there's a lot of this stuff out there with the thousand hours outside and all the different challenges that you can do. This one is going to correspond with my next book that's coming out in April. But the the tenant is just to, I set a goal for folks and you can change the goal, but the one that's handed to you is okay, five hours a week. However, it shakes out go outside somehow for five hours a week, whether it's in five minute increments, maybe you go on one long hike, whatever works for you. Yeah. And then I'm going to offer various activities that folks can do while they're out there just because some people like a little structure. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It is helpful to have a framework for people who maybe are not fully, they're not comfortable they're worried about ticks, they're worried about mosquitoes, they're worried about poison oak or poison ivy, snakes, whatever insects and so forth. And so there's there are like things that you probably have to overcome maybe. Right. In that. Yeah. And a lot of my work as a coach too is helping people figure out how to sit in feelings that aren't maybe ideal. <laughs> whether you're trying to lose weight or manage your stress or eat a vegetable that you don't like, whatever it might be. Sometimes you just aren't going to like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But some of the work of living well is to figure out, okay, how to be with those feelings that are not all butterflies and rainbows and happy things all the time. <laughs> just yeah. you're going to be okay. You can experience those things that are uncomfortable and you might even you might, it might shift. You might grow to enjoy those things or you'll develop more of a capacity to hold them when right. they come. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. That, I think that's a hundred percent true that. And if you never give yourself opportunities to be in that, mm-hmm. then you're missing out. I, I just say, I used to work with a lot of young people doing things outside and many of them would come because they want to be part of our summer camp or be part of our team and, or be a, a CIT counselor or something. And you could really tell people who were like, Oh, I grew up on a horse farm and I'm happy to do hard work. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. If I work hard and really hard and I'm going to be sore tomorrow mm-hmm. and yes, it's raining, but let's get this job done. And then there's the people that have never had that. So as soon as it starts raining, they're like immediately, okay, let's go. Yeah. Or there, this is hard. Can we just wait and then let somebody else do it or get a, a big truck or they want to think we 
I can't actually do it or I don't know how to do it. And then hopefully over the course, when those people actually realize that sweating and effort and rain and all that isn't the end of the story, you know, it's like a, it's like a revelation for them. It's like that inner strength that they didn't ever know they had. Mm -hmm. That was one of my favorite things with working with kids outside is that seeing them be like, okay, I hate this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And they come out the other side and they're like, it was amazing. Can we do it again? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I I remember somebody saying once they were like, oh, I work at the Gap. I don't do anything all day. And Mm -hmm. I don't even, whenever we have to fold clothes, I just walk away and pretend I'm busy and somebody else will, some, one of my other teammates will come in and fold it for me. And I was like, oh, they were saying it very proudly. Yeah, I don't, I'm getting paid to do nothing. And I was just like, oh, that's so sad. (laughs) I'm like, you obviously haven't ever experienced the joy of working really hard and being part of a team and helping. I'm not trying to sell the gap here or anything. I don't even know if it still exists. But the point is they, like that shirking part is not, that's not the goal, right? Right. The purpose of life isn't to go, hey, I didn't change it. My husband changed the diapers of my kid. 70 to 30 or something. Yeah, there's nothing like, you know, going out doing something, whether it's a hike or a chore or whatever, mm-hmm. and then coming in and being able to own that accomplishment. And then you get to relax. I always yeah. feel so much better after I've done something. Then I can actually relax instead of that little gremlin sitting on your shoulder being like, you should be doing something else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, gives me a good sense of accomplishment to, to move and do things and then sit down inside. Yeah. I think that do it yourself movement is something that I've really appreciated too. I know that's a, I don't know, it's like Lowe's or Home Depot. It's like they're, they've created this model or this advertising thing, which is, oh, we can do it. We can get it out there. You can, we'll give you the stuff you get, make it happen. And and it's like this empowering thing. And I'm not a, I'm not a big, I'm not an advocate of like big box businesses putting hardware stores out of business. But there is something that I think has touched a core for people who, if you go in and try to paint your own house, you're going to save a lot of money than hiring a professional out of necessity. And that feeling of accomplishment is such a a great experience. Yeah. And one thing I really appreciate about just the broad concept of nature connection is that Mm -hmm. it's hundred percent accessible to everybody. Yeah. Like, even if you're just looking out your window, you don't even, if you, if it's like not available, if you have an illness that's preventing you from going outside, you can still have somebody bring it into you or spend some time noticing what's going on outside your window outside. It's one of those things that anybody can do anytime. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. And, and I know that I interviewed somebody like seven years ago and he was in, I think he's in Minnesota. He's a prof- uh, photographer really awesome photographer and videographer. And he put in like TV screens in hospital rooms or nursing home rooms or whatever, where people were recovering from various surgeries. And some people, they noticed that people who had a window that opened into a natural place, they got better faster. There's a percentage. And so then he wanted to do an experiment. So he got healthcare to put a, like a TV screen of a window like with the curtains blowing and you see the, the trees moving and that's it. Just natural noise, maybe a few birds on and people 
they responded. Even if right. they weren't even looking at the window, they were, it was something that was activating things in their body that helped them heal. It was really remarkable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Can you watch your blood pressure go down and <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think his name is Craig Blacklock. He's, He's you great. know him? Yeah, really nice guy. But I think that to me is so eye-opening. Like when he told me that, I just was like, okay, my jaw just hit the floor because I didn't realize that was even possible, right? You were joking around about, oh, I'm doing this course and it's online telling people, <laughs> yeah, there's a weird uh, thing, but at the same time, it's working. So you have to meet people where they're at and oftentimes where they're at is on a computer or a phone. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell me about your new book that's coming. You said it's coming out in April. April 2nd. It's called Just Wild Enough. And I'm also a poet. So this is a poetry collection and mm. it's organized by each direction. So we start in East with a focus on spring uh, and then we move through the different directions and seasons and I also elements. And it, it's about the title, basically, figuring out how to be just wild enough in your life. Yeah, that's cool. There's something you can do with poetry that is so different than just prose or, uh, I don't know, a TED Talk or something like that. Right. Just, it it changes something in my brain. Yeah, for sure. I, have, I don't have physical copies yet, but I have digital ones. Mm -hmm. So... I would like to read you the, just the little tiny paragraph that starts the book because that gives you a great idea of what yeah. it is. Yeah, read anything. I, I read the poems, whatever you feel like doing. This is awesome. Get to it here. Okay. So this starts the book off. Most of the time, I don't feel wild. Not really. Not like I imagine a wolf or river otter or loon must feel wild. Yet I do feel like at least part of me is akin to rivers and lakes, soils and trees, all the wild things that still crawl the earth, swim the seas and soar the skies. That's the part I want to focus on, the part that's just wild enough. Attention to that part is like a prayer, the kind that rises from the ordinary, the kind that harmonizes with all the other wild parts of creation in a collective song of everyday devotion. A song that persists through all seasons, across all borders, and rides on the winds of time. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited for it to make its way into the world. I feel, I feel like I get shy if I am when I'm outside. It sounds good. I like write something down or I think of saying something, mm -hmm. and then when it comes to putting it on paper or sharing it with everyone. I don't know. I, I can feel like, well, I don't know if people, if they're busy in their everyday lives, it yeah. might sound dumb or what do you mean by, if you analyze anything, it's the magic of it falls apart. And so I'm always really, um, I don't know, I guess I'd say not, I just feel really in awe of people who can craft these things and then really share them. And that, it makes yeah. me happy. <laughs> I will say that I have definitely experienced all of what you just said. Yeah, you know, you're outside, you think of this great thing, you come in, you write it down, you're like, ooh, really? I don't know if I want anybody else to see this. And what helped me get over that was I just kept writing things down and I just started sharing them, even if I wasn't 100% confident. Because oftentimes what you share, somebody, it's going to resonate with somebody, even if it's not polished. 
And that, right. that, especially with my poetry, that is what I think helped me to continue writing it. So this is my third poetry collection. And the first one really, it came out in 2019. And it really started as a project. I would take a picture outside and I would post it on Instagram with a little caption. And that's how I started writing poetry. I think, yeah. okay, I like what this looks like, snap the picture. And then I write a little thing about what I noticed outside. And I just kept doing it over and over and over again. <laughs> and I tried to let go of the response of others. Not easy to do that, but I just kept doing it because it was fun. Yeah. Other people were like, oh yeah, I like, I can resonate with some of those things you've noticed outside. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. Yeah, Instagram is it, you said Instagram is where you put it. I used Instagram. Mm -hmm. It's a really perfect medium that way because you can't really write that much. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and then you put that like an image up, and it's just, yeah. yeah, it's a pretty cool way that can develop. And then all of a sudden, you look down, and you're like, oh, I've sixty posts of this or that. Yeah, yeah, and I don't always take a device outside with me to take a picture, but. If I want to write something, I will oftentimes I'll go on a hike without anything, any device kind of thing. And then I will go again and I'll take a camera to take a picture later because I notice if I go out with a phone or a camera, then I have a kind of more of a tunnel vision. Like I'm not noticing everything, but if I go on a hike first, then I take everything and then I come back mm. and I decide what I want to photograph. And that's my personal preference. A lot of photographers probably don't work like that, but that tends to work for me so I don't get too distracted. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that's a really good point that you're making too because I have seen that where you're walking with a bunch of people and then every time every time there's something to see, mm -hmm. they're, everyone's whipping out their phone. So it's boom, they're going to set up and take a picture. Yeah. I think I was at looking at waterfalls up in Ithaca, New York, which has a lot of these gorges and falls. And there's a lot of people on some of these trails. And it's just, oh, we turn this corner and there's a view. Every person yeah. is like taking a, a picture of that. Sure. And, and honestly, I don't really care because I think, yeah, in their life, they might that might be the only waterfall they've ever seen. So right on. But yeah. it's interesting because I'm just happy that they're out there and you can smell the the water, the sun on the rocks, you could smell the decaying crayfish or whatever, but like all that is like still impacting them, even if they're focused on the waterfall or whatever. Sure, but if yeah. you don't have the phone, then you, then it's a whole different experience. It's true. Yeah. I write about that actually in collisions a little bit in a chapter mm -hmm. called paying attention in a digital age. Mm -hmm. I just want to read you just one little thing when I caught myself oh, yeah. doing this. Let's see. Okay. One winter morning, after gliding across the ice-covered lake on skis, I turned east toward the rising sun and stopped in my tracks. It looked as though millions of tiny diamonds had been strewn across the surface of the frozen water in the form of snowflakes. I thought to myself that this must be what glitter is trying to emulate, like somehow stars have dropped out of the sky. The landscape hummed with the sort of shimmer only possible when light and snow are willing to fully harmonize. Had Marie Kondo appeared out of the ether to ask if it was a moment that sparked joy, I would have said yes. I stood there for a while, just looking at the glittering landscape, feeling the sun through the chilly air, leaning on my ski poles. 
The iPhone with its camera had been left inside, charging on the countertop in the kitchen. But I wished I had it. I wanted so badly to document the beauty I was seeing and share it with someone. And more often than not these days, that happens digitally on social media. I'd rather say I just stood there, marveling at nature's beauty, fully present and mindfully enjoying the view, but I'd be lying if I did. Instead, distraction from the allure of making an Instagram post out of what I was seeing dominated my mind. At that moment, I was trying to spark joy from the wrong place. Instead of living in the moment, I was imagining the next post. It's mm. a fine line to walk, isn't it? <laughs> that's really, that's awesome. It's, yeah, how do you compare like the glitter of sunlight on snow to getting 150 likes on Instagram? or hearts, right. whatever it is, yeah. right? It never looks the same anyway. <laughs> it never does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, you get the best of both worlds because it sounds like you're at least seeing that view and mm -hmm. seeing and recognizing that there's this power in it. But you also have the ability to create a story or a, to write a passage that can help people get there in a different way right just you sharing that to me i don't even need to see yours what you saw because i'm seeing it in my mind i'm seeing you leaning on your snow your skis or ski poles and yeah i'm seeing it in a different way but it's still the same in a way mm -hmm. yeah mythically maybe yeah I have to, even after writing all these books about this phenomenon, I, I still have to check myself and say, okay, <laughs> pay attention first, document later. It's my mantra. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. I, I do that. Like sometimes I'm in the middle of teaching a class and I'll see something that's a moment and I'll literally pull my phone out, take my thumb, swipe to the camera, <laughs> hit the lens that gives me the right telephoto or whatever. Boom, frame it, click it, and it's back in. It's like literally seven seconds. Mm -hmm. And and then I post something on Instagram. People go, you must, you just take such a, it must be so great for you to walk around and just see all these incredible things. And I'm like, it literally took me 15 seconds. And then I was right back to teaching a bunch of children. <laughs> and, right. and that happens to me all, it happened to me last night. There was an incredible sunset. And I'm like, I have an interview and a something and a something. And I had to pull over. <laughs> take seven pictures and then get back yeah. in the car and go. And I was just like, okay, yeah, I do think I'm missing. I'm missing a little something in there that maybe I need to book a little more time. Maybe my schedule's a little too packed. Yeah. Even still, the more you go outside and yeah. expose yourself to these mm -hmm. possibilities of seeing beauty, the more often you'll be able to take a picture of them. That's right. That's <laughs> well, even right. Even a snapshot that doesn't take 50 tries. Yeah, it's really true. It sounds like you're between your work of creating, like you said, a, a course. Uh, have you thought about doing your in putting into your course that online course to have them write a poem or write? Is there a writing component to it? There are some like journal prompts that uh -huh. I'm playing around with. So, yes, there will be good. some component of writing. It's not fully fleshed out yet, but that's a good idea. Have them write a poem. <laughs> What's interesting about this is that, for example, like I've interviewed like Sandy Reed, who's a science teacher for elementary, middle and high school students. And she's created this whole 
nature center at her school and she takes students tracking in Africa and all over the U.S. And she just is like an amazing person. But it's a very like science and observation approach that is very powerful. But that was her in, right? Because that's her field. And then I interviewed uh, Johnny Walker, who is a, a like a language arts educator. He's a poet and a mythologist. And he does retreats with children um, where they reenact scenes from the Iliad which is Greek myths. And so they have these situations where they're in this like kind of cathartic <laughs> expression of like doom or monsters and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then she he gets those students in a way to invite them to write something, share their views and mm-hmm. inspire that. And it's amazing to me the breadth of how many different ways there are to enter and there's so many people that love poetry. They love writing. Yeah. They love art and so forth. Like p- the people that do nature journaling where they're, they'll observe a bird and then make these incredible drawings and paintings and yeah. writing all this, like all their observations and everything. And yeah, it's really inspiring. There's so many, I, I think that you're, because you're a writer, you've been published and you're continuing to write like, I bet there'd be a lot of people that would want to come and they're probably looking at your posting going, oh man, I wish I could write like that. And you're like, hey, you can. <laughs> you know? yeah, yes. Yeah. One of my favorite things to have people do when I, I occasionally do workshops and retreats uh-huh. and things is in the at the last one that I did back in November, we I just had all the participants. There was a kind of a prairie area outside the facility. And so we they just I told them to go outside, park themselves <laughs> in one place. And just notice that was it. You just go outside and notice. I think I talked about maybe using all your senses or something. And then they came back in and they just wrote down what they noticed. And everybody had something really different, even though everybody was in the same place. So that was really fun to do. And people always appreciate just, I think, permission to just go outside and just sit still. So often when people are going outside, it's, I need to get a workout. I need to get this chore done. I need to do whatever it is that's on your list. But it's it can be so healing just to go outside and just be there. You're just yeah. one of the creatures in nature. You don't have to do anything right now. You just have to sit there and notice things. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. And that's, in a way, a lot of times, that's people who come to the class that I teach. They want me to tell them okay, go make a fire. Okay, we're going to build a shelter. Okay, let's weave this baskets or something. And even if it's something they don't necessarily know how to do or want to do, they're appreciating that I'm just like, okay, this is the time. This is what we're doing. (laughs) It's not tomorrow. It's not 10 days from now. We're doing it right now. And I think writing is a lot like that too. Like it, there's that feeling of, okay, I need to be pushed a little bit. I need someone to set it up and say, all right, we're going to wake up early in the morning. You're going to sit out and listen to the dawn chorus of the birds. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to, and then you're going to have share right for yourself, whatever that impact is or something. And one thing I used to do just for myself, I need to get back to it again, is that every Monday, my daughter had violin lessons on Monday nights and my husband would take her. So I had, I don't know, an hour and a half where the house was empty. And so I would, I went, we have a, there's a little kind of boggy lake out behind my house. So I would take my camping chair and go sit on the dock with my notebook, same place every time. And I would just write down what I noticed, like no, like philosophical 
anything like literally just the details. <laughs> what do yeah. I hear to turn it into a profound poem or whatever? I just literally sat down there, noticed things, wrote them down. I did that every week for quite a while. And it took a little bit of the pressure off. I think as a published author, you're thinking, okay, <laughs> what am I going to write next? That's going to, people are going to like, and that's going to have this lesson in it, you know, that it's easy to get in that trap. So yeah. it was really healing for me just to go outside, sit down and write down the details. And that was mm -hmm. it. Yeah. It can be a good reset. I think if you're feeling stuck, just go outside, sit down, write what you notice the end. Yeah, that's true. And, and a lot of good writing, I think, comes from people who can really notice the details, right? Instead of just saying, what do they say? Of course, in, in most writing circles, there was like, oh, show, don't tell. Right. So instead of saying, yeah, he ran down the road, you might, <laughs> you say something like, oh yeah, his ankles ached as he pounded the pavement or something, whatever, and then slid on the rain-soaked cement or something. Yeah. So the idea is that you're showing that or whatever. But you can't really write like that unless you actually have run on wet cement. You can't write about the glint on snow if you haven't seen it. You have to be able to see it. In order to see it, you have to be present in your body. Right. You have to be able to cut everything else out and just do that. And that's what you're doing, right? That's that's what you're doing. When I scroll through Instagram and I see a post that you make and then read that poem, I'm literally taking that minute to really notice something, even though I'm seeing it through your eyes, your words. Yeah, yeah. I would say the, the foundational component of my work is to practice paying attention. Like I'm not always good at it. No one is, <laughs> but yeah. you just keep doing it. It's just something that you build into your, the fabric of your day is just pay attention to things that are going on that are not on a screen. Ideally. It's a lot like a mental, there's a mental health aspect to this or like uh, where I, I can say for myself, there are many times where someone will say, hey, you need to slow down and blah, 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 whatever. Slow down, relax, reflect or whatever. And I would say in my mind as my response, I wouldn't say it out loud, but I would just go, if I slow down and really listen to myself, um, it's going to be, I, I'm going to be faced with a lot of things that are places where I've compromised and then compromised again and compromised again in terms of my values or my wants or needs. I'd like, and to realize that and actually then have to sit with that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I can't even think of doing that. It's too scary. And I'm, yeah, these are the things I'm worried about. And mm -hmm. because, so I could see why some people would just be like, they can't slow down. They can't, it yeah. really is an intimacy thing that to me it's intimacy that's a scary thing, really. Just sitting there with yourself, that can be really hard. Um, yeah. One of my other favorite activities to do with folks is to give them the instruction of do something slowly on purpose. Some just chore or whatever it is. Maybe it's walking to the mailbox. Maybe it's chopping the carrot. Very mundane task and just really slow way down, pay attention to every part of it and just see. Just mm -hmm. see how it goes. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a so there's a poem in Just Wild Enough that gets a little bit at this slow living details thing. Mm -hmm. So I can I'll read that for you now. So details of small things. 
I made a pact with a jumping spider just the other day as he was waiting for whatever jumping spiders wait for as they traverse sides of trash bins. After that, a lichen-studded log engaged me in conversation about slow living, allowing ample space for listening to lonesome leaves, discern their response as they littered about in our invitation to join. You just never know what might take root when you peer deeply into the details of small things, mind open to alternative ways of communication, all the while acknowledging, despite everything, that pact has love for the world at its center. Nice. It was a very cute little jumping spider. <laughs> right? I know. They're beautiful. You really beautiful. look closely at them. It's like, wow, look at that thing. I know they are like superheroes or like they have all these different colors and they have this ability to do things that are incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And I think slow living and paying attention to the details, it just opens up all these possibilities. Like sometimes when I'm moving slowly or watching a jumping spider, your mind can makes up all these stories and you can go on all these parallel little explorations just in that moment. And it's, it's just really cool that all those different doors that paying attention can open. We've talked about mythology and, and all that stuff. And my daughter's really into Percy Jackson right now. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it just, it make, it opens all those doors to thinking about the world as it could be in this other parallel universe or in ancient times or in the future, just all these different things. So anyway. Right. What's neat about the Greek, the Greek myths or, and other, it's, it's true in a lot of different mythologies, but it's mm -hmm. just this idea that like the water is alive, right? So there's like these, I don't know if they're called naiads or dryads. I think Naiads are the water and dryads are the trees, or maybe it's flipped around. I don't, I can't remember, but there's this idea that, oh, in these beautiful woods, there are satyrs and centaurs, and there are like beings that rule that, that there are beings that are part of that. So Poseidon is in the water at Percy Jackson wise. So then it's just this imagination that gets spurred about that, seeing the world as this fully living thing. And, and I think myths get a bad name in some ways in science because it's, oh, yeah, those are myths. Those are all made up. We didn't really know what was going on. Now it's all hyd hydrogen and carbon atoms or whatever. And I do think that it's good to let children <laughs> explore those myths and, and for adults to explore them if you are drawn to that because the world is really full of magic. And, yeah, it's hard, it's hard if you're getting fed a, a constant stream of, messages that you don't really quite understand you're, you're getting how that is impacting and landing and then all of a sudden there three years later go by you're really depressed <laughs> you're like, what happened to my life yeah okay here's one one more poem on this theme yeah yeah everyday enchantment look for the magic that falls from the sky or tumbles from treetops enchanting a bit of earth for a little while then you can return to business as usual if you'd like or you could let that magic meld with your own, a reminder that it's always there when you need it. Yeah, you can always pay attention. You can always return to it if it floats away <laughs> as it does. Mm. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. This is in your new book that's coming out? The new book, yep. Just Wild Enough. I like that. Yeah. I like that. This is great. Yeah, this is, I, I really do believe that there's, we're still almost untapped in terms of the ways that we can creatively inspire people to get outside. So I, I really, I feel like this is exciting to me, hearing about your poetry, hearing about your way of seeing the world and your passion for that, and then helping people in wellness and everything else. It's just, you know. Yeah, I feel like in, I've, I interact with so many different people just through coaching specifically. Mm -hmm. And that a, a theme that I've noticed is that people are just longing for something. There's, people feel like there's something missing. Mm -hmm. They don't know what it is, but they want it really badly. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so often it is more accessible, whatever the definition of that is for them if they take the time to move more slowly, to pay attention, to step more fully into a, a relationship with the earth. Yeah, that's, it's just, it's one of the doorways into figuring out who you are as a person and being okay with who you are as a person as well. Yeah. You've had, you have to go through that. Like we said, the layers of intimacy to get to those places. That's what your poems and your books, like your booker is doing is like creating a doorway to what's possible and getting a glimpse of that and then saying, all right, how do I bring that for my, for me and begin that process of peeling back layers of bark and leaves to see yeah. what's underneath or something. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, and I think it touches on like the human condition for where we are. Like if I think of people going, oh, why should I get out in nature? It's good to be out, blah, blah, blah. Even what people say, oh, blood pressure, the all the big things that are like the things everybody likes to talk about, exercise and everything. But there is that element of, at a, at a core of where I think we're lonely, right? We're lonely for the earth. We're, we're, that's, the, that's some of that piece that's missing is mm -hmm. we're lonely. It's hard to connect. And, but if we can connect with nature, Maybe that begins to open that road. And once you get filled with nature, all of a sudden other people come around to you without knowing and they just go, I don't know what you have, but you've got something and I don't have it and I want it. And they don't even, they can't express that outwardly, but it changes the dynamic of, of who you are in the world, right? I know the native people sometimes would say that's gathering medicine back in the day. That would be their way of expressing it. You go to the waterfall. And then you take a little pebble from the creek and put it in your neck bag. That's your medicine pouch. It's like the water ball's part of me now or whatever. And yeah. Well, I feel like every time you go outside, it's like getting a little piece of yourself back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like a gathering up of really old stories while you're making a new one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a theme in collisions. It's we start with origin. Where do, where do you come from? Mm -hmm. And then we move into the journey section of all the different explorations that you can take as a human. And then the last section is returning, is integrating all of those bits of things you've learned over the years with where you come from to step into whatever comes next. Mm. Yeah. Not an easy process, but worth it to continue the journey. It's not easy to live without it. It's not like it's, it's better. <laughs> yeah. 
Everything's yeah. yeah, you just you're and that is absolutely right. Everything is hard. So yeah, I work with a lot of people with weight loss, and one of the kind of cliche things people will say is, okay, losing weight is hard. Being overweight is also hard. So pick your heart. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I know I was talking to somebody. We talk I talk a lot to educators, and there was a group of them, and they we were all just talking about how difficult it is to be in nature education get paid so you can survive. And then on top of that, just having to deal with all the layers of like paperwork and administration and like the actual working with the kids is actually the easiest thing. And I, in my mind was thinking like, that is true. All of that is true. And it's okay to not do it. If you found that there, if you want to take a break and spend five years and go to a job that makes you more money so you can do it, that's fine. But just know that job is also going to have similar, you're going to be in a similar situation at some point, I guess, until late stage capitalism resolves itself or something, but <laughs> yeah, you know, like, it's not going to be easy to be like in traffic going to your higher paying job. And... I, yeah. There's always a trade-off for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's really true. This has been just remarkable and, and amazing for me just to be able to spend time with you. I, I love your book. I love the title of that. Like, how did that come about for you? Because yeah. it, it's so powerful for me. Collisions like, of Earth and Sky. I think it originated just in my history of growing up on a prairie. You look out over the horizon, you, you see the sky and you see the prairie together. Mm -hmm. They come together in this collision. Yeah. And then I started thinking about, there's a lot of collisions in life, right? Some of them we want, some of them we don't want, some of them are destructive, some of them are beautiful. And so the title is really just the first step into exploring all those collisions that we experience as humans. It's to me, it's really amazing. Anyway, I really appreciate spending this time with you and I'd love to, I'd love to have you come back maybe and just share more of your poems uh, sure. with uh, everyone, because if there's one group of people I know who, who really probably could use being filled up and feeling good and feeling okay. It's people that work with children and do, oh. do the hard work every day. And mm -hmm. your poetry and your writing is, it, it felt really good to mm -hmm. me just reading it. And I really, it's remarkable in that way. So. Well, good. I, I'm glad to hear that. My, I feel like my work is just to add to the healing of the world, however I can. Mm. So I'm glad that the poems are part of that. Yeah, it's it reminded me a little bit of some of like I, I, you've heard of Barry Lopez, I'm sure maybe. Um, he's one of my favorite authors, and I remember him talking about being in the desert, and somebody had said, "Oh, there's a there's this large scale petroglyph in the desert that's made with stones," and he had this whole story about he had to he got up early before sunlight. He wanted to get there before dawn, and he wanted to be able to sit on like a ledge where when the dawn sun came, it would like the image would show up. And that little story, I'm not even sure it might be called desert notes or something, but that story of him going there, like changed how I saw nature. And it was really phenomenal and incredible writing. And it just the whole way that he wrote it and per the perspective. And I'm just going to say, I felt like, like when I was reading Barry Lopez and I know that's how I felt as I was reading everything so i actually <laughs> quote him once in collisions i say mm -hmm. what is the exact quote people need stories as much as they need food to stay alive yeah 
yeah, I, I really appreciate all his work that he did over the years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Thank you so much. How can people find you? Where can they find your book? Obviously different. Yeah, so you can find me at HeidiBar.com. That's my website. Yep. And then books are available anywhere you buy your books. Essentially, you can go to bookshop.org, Amazon if you must. Most independent bookstores can order them in if they don't have them in stock. Nice. And yeah. I have a sub stack as well. I always forget to mention this one. It is called Ordinary Collisions and it's linked from my website, but it's a further exploration of all those collisions. Beautiful. Yeah. And you're on Instagram. I'll have all, all your links uh, in the show notes for this episode, but I really appreciate your time. And it, it's, to me, it's been really wonderful just to hear the things that go, have gone on behind it, the hard work. Like we could probably dig into your book and all the different stories within it too, but yeah. this has been really great. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. It was a wonderful conversation. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.